dancing to to our theme song i actually really like it <laughs> hi i'm tyshell welcome to brave space live i'm tyshell i'm a diversity equity and inclusion practitioner and learning consultant and this is my co-host i did it the right way yes my name is mel and i am a social ethicist and an author and welcome to brave space live where we'll be having tough conversations around anti-oppression communal healing and all of the such and today we're going to be talking about code switching and i'll code let switching. and we also have a special guest and i'll let mel introduce our guest but also look at my main sweatshirt hopefully people can see it in the right way yes. mel sent it to me just recently and i i was like i'm wearing it today so anyway because it was your birthday happy birthday i know i just had a, a birthday pass and it was low-key as it should be so nice <laughs> but uh mel can you introduce our, our our special guest absolutely i am so excited to introduce to you shireen kassam she is let me read the bio because i don't want to get it wrong so shireen is an internationally touring stand-up comedian comedian who has performed worldwide on stages from new york to saigon named florida's Flor I can't talk tonight. Florida's funniest female. That's Shireen a tongue twister though, right? Florida's, Florida's funniest, funniest female. female. Yeah. Shireen has also appeared on HBO and NBC. She is the winner of the Orlando Improv Clash of the Comics and the Brickell Comedy Festival. Shireen is also the host, if that's not enough, she's also the host of the top-rated Apple podcast, Creative Breakthrough. Welcome to the show, Shireen. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. We're so excited. <laughs> I can't so, wait. Absolutely. So we want to just hear a little bit about you and your background and how you got into comedy and 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 then we'll get into to code switching and as I'm sure comedy has a lot to do with that too. But please just tell us a little bit about you and tell our, our, our guests about your background. Yeah, sure. So I didn't always know I wanted to be a comedian. I actually didn't know comedy was a real thing. <laughs> I grew up in that like traditional immigrant household where your parents bring you here to America and they're like, you're going to be a doctor. And then you train your whole life to be a doctor until you realize like you can't pass basic chemistry because your brain just doesn't function that way. So I was a businesswoman. I went into investment banking, then a consulting, and I was just miserable. I was just, I hated it. I hated everything about corporate America. I still hate corporate America, but I'm still in it. Don't judge me. We've all done it. <laughs> but but I needed an out and I just couldn't figure what that out was. And then one day I ended up at a comedy show and it was my first time seeing live stand up comedy. And I'm totally dating myself because this was pre Netflix where you actually had to get dressed and buy a ticket and go to a club and watch comedy. And I just remember sitting there thinking, what are these people doing like this? I I don't understand. I don't understand what comedy is. This is not funny. <laughs> and I'm not a funny person or I wasn't. I was a very quiet person and I don't know where I got the guts to go up to the owner of the club after the show and be like, I want my money back. And <laughs> did you really? I did. I was, <laughs> I was so adamant. I was like, I want my $20 back. I want to go. I was, my plan was to go out drinking that $20 was going to buy me some drinks. And I ended up here and now I'm bored and I want my money back. <laughs> and again, I'm a very quiet person. So I was, I don't know where it came from. I was just so like agitated. <laughs> And he said, it's not that easy to make people laugh. And again, I don't know where this came from, but I responded back saying, well, it can't be that hard. Wow, wow, wow. And he was like, okay, well, you go learn how to do comedy. You come back here. And if you can come back here and make people laugh, I'll give you your $20 back. And I was like, bet, let's do it. And I, I took the challenge. I went and learned how to be a comedian, and I came back and I got my twenty dollars back. No, <laughs> that is so way. working That's hard for some money. No, that has been like my life, Tyshell. Though, anytime somebody tells me you can't do something, I'm like, I am going to devote every hour of my life to doing this. <laughs> and I'm gonna be good at it. I'm gonna be better than these people, and I want my money back. Still. Yes, exactly. I do want my money back. He and he used it, he gave it to me. He was like, I remember you. Here is your twenty dollars back. Yes. And I kind of wanted oh to gosh. give it back to him and be like, thank you for finding my passion and my purpose in life. But I also didn't want him to feel special at the same time. <laughs> 
I love that. I oh love it. Oh my god. It. Wait, okay. Wow. I have so many questions. First of all, can we just say like how incredible that is that you didn't just go back once and just try it. You just you you owned. Like you started winning shit. Like right, right. that's incredible. That's, yeah. Well, wow. I I still have that immigrant mentality. I'm not going to just be mediocre at anything. And it's a it's it's sometimes I have to tell myself like you don't have to live up to a standard. Like just because your dad tells you to do that. I mean, he doesn't care that I win this stuff because comedy to him, he's like, you're wasting your time. You should be getting a PhD. Like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? But I still feel like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, which is that, tiring. But that's, <laughs> It's so funny because that's one of the stories that I hear from a lot of the immigrants that I know people uh, coming and saying, like, my parents were like, you're, you got to do this. You got to do that. And then when I tell them I want to be a comedian or I want to to be in entertainment they're like so you want to be a clown yeah like yep you're not a cla- that's not what clowns do <laughs> exactly but like maybe like i don't know but yeah you, so so you're a clown it's like i am no. yep i have a red nose and everything wow <laughs> how, okay. I, I love this story it's so good i know so okay how does one just just learn how to be funny can you do that so that is the $100 question between taking a class. Like, so in stand-up comedy, a lot of people are like, you either are funny or not funny. You can't learn to be funny. I don't think you can learn to be funny, but you can learn how to step out of your shell and out mm. of your comfort zone and then learn how to make, how to write a joke. And I think, I think what I really needed was that confidence. It wasn't really learning what is comedy and how to write comedy, but I needed somebody to push me out of my comfort zone. And that was the moment where I was like, I was kind of reborn as this new person where now I could speak up. And if I spoke up and somebody was offended, it was like, I'm a comic. I can say that, you know, like <laughs> deal with it's it. It's like more the, the art of storytelling and being able to tell your story in a timing way is what I hear a lot of people say and being able to mm-hmm. say it, right? Yep. Because a lot of comedy is right. Like speaking what people are feeling, mm-hmm. but in a way that resonates with them. So that's, that's so interesting. And you can get away with saying things that other people can't get away with. Yes. And you, but you, sh- and you yes. should be able to, because yeah. some of those things are like, you're thinking it, mm-hmm. somebody needs to say it so you can reflect on it. And then also laugh through all of the pain that is, I don't know, corporate America as yes. you say, right. Right. So, wow. It's, it's so interesting because I think of humor, like being a funny person is something you're born with or you don't have. Actually, okay, this is reminding me, one time I was out to dinner, I think I was eating by myself, and I overheard the next booth over. I'm pretty sure it was a first date. And it was, I was just so excited to eavesdrop because it was not going well. And uh, at one point in the conversation, the guy who's like trying so hard to impress this girl and she's just not into it, but he goes, I've I've always wanted to be funny, but, and then he hangs his head and he goes, I'm just not funny. <laughs> and oh, probably the funniest I, thing she's heard all night I, that you heard. I almost did a spit take. I was like, that's, that's hilarious. Just lean into that. But yeah, he was confessing to her. Oh, it was so cringy. Yeah. Self-deprecating anyway. humor takes you quite far sometimes. <laughs> it does. It does. That people always tell me to show you should be you should do comedy i'm like no i'm gonna get booed because i'm gonna start arguing with yeah. people and and but i've seen i i love stand-up comedy so i will be watching even more of your stuff that i haven't gotten to watch after this because i was like researching and i was like oh, i'm gonna watch some of her stuff and she <laughs> is funny so if you haven't already listened to shireen you should because she yes is definitely funny. um but just I love stand-up comedy it's there's such a, a a fire to it and being on the stage so what kind of where would you say like a lot of your humor either lies or you have um a lot a lot of material around even going into I know we're to the, today's topic is like code switching but how how does that even fit into your sense of comedy and the things that you do yeah so I would say my comedy is more like a first date I try to get get you to know who I am but I try to get you to know who I am first as an American female so I'm on stage and I live in Florida. So we have to set context. I live in Florida, a very red state. Um, there's a lot of clubs that don't like me. I've been banned from a club in Melbourne and we'll get into that. But I have to set the stage when I'm on stage. Like I am just your typical American girl. So I do a lot of jokes about living in Boston, going out drinking, dating stories, really getting them to understand that I am just like you. And then about like halfway into my set, I'll drop it on them that I'm Muslim. And half of the audience will stay with me and half the audience will leave. 
Um, and that's wow. where it's just interesting for me because I, you've already connected with me. You already loved me. And now I get to see who's really like, who's really real and who's, who's still, I need to like help them kind of educate them and understand, like, I'm not going to kill them. <laughs> like, I left, nah. I, I'm not a terrorist. Like, it's just, it's like an educational thing. But yeah, most of my comedy is focused on just American things, drinking, dating, a lot of dating stories, growing up with my parents, and then a lot of stuff about just unraveling the stereotypes about being Muslim. That's so funny that you said that. You said, I'm from Florida, and I was going to say, are you okay? Are, are, you, are you okay? Because I, one of the things I heard about, about Florida is you can Google your birthday and crazy Florida man and something mm -hmm. comes up. And yeah, it's um, so I just yeah. want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive Florida Floridians, but I'm just saying, are y'all okay? Is everything okay down there? You know, there are days, I will tell you this. I did a show in Deltona on Friday night and Deltona is a red city. It's like the, it's like the backwoods. It's the redneck, one of, one of the many redneck cities in Florida. And this dude about our age showed up at the show wearing uh, a jacket made of the Confederate flag. And oh, he God. felt, he went to the store and thought that that was an ideal outfit to buy and then wear to a comedy show. And I'm just sitting, I'm on stage looking at him thinking, I cannot wait to tell him I'm Muslim. Wow. <laughs> So when you so when you do shows, people will physically get up and walk out on you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've had people walk out on me. I've had them walk out, yell, get rid of her, terrorist. I I've had people leave and then try to get the manager to turn my mic off and shut me down. Um, wow. But only in Florida. It's never happened anywhere else. Oh my god! <laughs> people you... forget that Florida is still the South. It is still yeah. the South. Yes, it is the so South. That does happen. Yeah. yeah. You I, had say a, I did. Though? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask how, how you deal with that kind of uh, criticism and like rejection. How do you? You know, it doesn't ever really bother me. It only bothers me when they start to impact my career, if that makes sense. So like, if you want to leave, you can leave. If you want to disrupt the show, disrupt the show. But but there's a line that you can't cross. And I when people try to cross that line, that's when I get really upset. So like I had a, a, a couple a table one time try they banned me from the club not only did they ban me from the club they got me kicked off the radio because I, I refused to apologize to them and it's when you take that entitlement to such a level that's when it starts to really irritate me because i personally don't know how to handle those situations yet because they're always new to me like it's something i'm like oh, i can't believe i have to deal with this like i've been on the radio for four years and this these white entitled people think because i I'm Muslim, I should apologize to them and say, mm. thank you for letting me into your country. And I'm not going to do that. So Good for you. Wow. So yeah, that's how my radio career disappeared. <laughs> Qu quick, uh, that's, wow. Um, uh, quick, your, quick, mic, your mic is yeah, running up is against kind of your, like, Oh, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> you're checking. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Um, so how, how would you say you've in your experience have you experienced code switching in general or how does it how has it affected the way you do your work or you or corporate america or or your comedy in general as well i would say i think for me like one of the things i really love about comedy and like podcasting and any of these creative endeavors is i do them on my own you don't nobody else has a say on and how well i how well i do it it's however much time i want to put into it and what I really realized about corporate America when I was in my mid-20s and discovered comedy is I was depressed and angry and sad because I was qualified to be at my job, but I wasn't treated like I was qualified. I always had to put in more hours. I had to work harder. If I made a mistake, it got called out, but nobody else's mistakes got called out. I had to order lunch. I had to take notes. I had to be the last one in the office. I was the one who was asked to come in on the weekends. And sometimes it's hard to like step back and say, maybe they're trying to develop me or maybe it's just racism. Yeah. Who knows? Right. But at a certain point when you're like, OK, I hold two Ivy League degrees. I have a master's in business and you've got you've got a kid who's a fresh out of college, but you're still asking me to take meeting notes. You're still asking me to order lunch. You're still asking me to stay late. Then you start to wonder, like, what is happening here? And, and that's when I was like, this is why I love comedy, because nobody can tell me what I can and cannot do. I own my own career, you know, exactly. and that's and that's been so refreshing because I can say, no, I'm not doing that. Or I can say, I'm not doing it for that price. Don't underpay me. Like, <laughs> oh, so man. A, whole, a whole different thing. So it, it's so interesting to me because 
So uh, we're going to give, I want to give a little bit of background and, and Mel, you can jump in with some background of, of code switching in general. So I think one of the things I always tell people is that like everybody code switches, right? The way you talk to your grandmother is not the way you talk to your friends, right? That's, that's the general gist of, of what code switching is. But like, there are certain people, you know, like I would, I would say people like Shireen and, and myself, and I'm sure women as well, because you know, there's like, you have to speak in certain tones and certain ways that have to code switch that have to change how we speak to fit into um, corporate America to fit into certain circles of people when you are there. And that's so, that has to be so for you, Shereen, so different because when you're on stage, it is you, right? And you can mm-hmm. talk how you want, you can speak how you want to speak, you can mm-hmm. talk how you want to talk, and people either get it or they don't, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the, the joke lands for them or it doesn't, or you, or you can spend an entire set explaining one way that your family talks or one way that you like something your, your family, a family member of yours says. And that I think is so interesting. So, uh, Mel, I don't know if you wanted to give a little bit of background about what code switching is so we can talk a little bit more about how it how it shows up um, rather as well, too. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best person to define this, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> we're <laughs> so, we're going to put the white person on the spot. <laughs> okay, okay. This is a test here. Let's no, see if I pass. It's fine. Uh, code switching, as far as I understand it, is um, adapting your mannerisms, mannerisms, behaviors, appearance, way of speaking to... Mm-hmm if not conform to norm a normative space to at least get by within it to 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 sort of exist within it without standing out too much so really having to temper who you are or change or adjust who you are to fit in or or to avoid negative repercussions right and i think that can go did i do okay You did. You did. I think so. I think the interesting thing about code switching is that it doesn't just exist for um, English speakers. Right. So the term the term code switching and thinking about what code switching is, is that it exists when people who are bilingual, you insert different words because now they're switching codes and how they speak. Right. So sometimes you'll hear a person who speaks a different language say um, and then they'll say like the English version because there is no. There is no equivalent in the language in their native language, or ah. they will say they will be speaking in English and then go to that other language because that's how they think, right? Mm-hmm. So though that's also code. That's the general gist of like code switching in what language is. But when we're talking about it in an American context, in a in a normative context of this language, is also leaving out certain things. So like we were having this conversation before we got here about how like in a meeting you'll be in a meeting and you'll say something and be like oh okay like for me I'll I'll, I'll use me for example like I'm from <laughs> Philadelphia and we say John and I had to explain what John was to Mel a while ago she was I like, don't know. so I've what does it mean and I was just having this conversation with my dad so it's funny because generationally we have to code switch a lot but my dad is from Philadelphia he still lives in Phil- I don't live in Philadelphia anymore but he does and I, I was saying like this John and, and like people don't understand what John is. So I have to, so when I say it, not thinking that people don't understand it or that I'm at work and I've said John, I've explained it. Okay, it's a, it's a replacement now for a person, place or thing, right? And people are like, oh, okay. So they'll be like, so, but in Philadelphia, if you come to Philly, you'll see, and I also only say Philadelphia when I'm talking to other people, when you come to Philly, you will see billboards. Like there, I, the most recent one I saw was vitamin water had a billboard that says, you'll love this John. Like, because we speak it so much, but like, I wouldn't say that to my, to my, you know, boss. So I have to code switch for them. So that's my like example explanation of, of code switching, which is such an tiring thing to do at times. Right? So would you say it's, it's like the labor intensive intensivity of like having to translate, right? Translating either for the professional environment or for a different like racially dominant environment or gender dominant environment. You're always translating your head. And some of us, based on who we are, our identities are, are, and how, you know, whether or not we experience marginalization, we will be doing a lot more of that code switching work than other people will have to. Is that a fair thing to say? I, I think so. I think, it, so code switching in itself, like when I'm talking to my grandmother versus talking to my friends, that form of code switching is not a lot. But then like, imagine also having to do your job. <laughs> like, it's like, so I have to explain this to you, or I have to think about how I say things to you 
And I also have to do my job. Like when I'm just talking to my grandmother, I'm just talking to my grandma. Like I'm just not cursing and saying things that she doesn't understand. But when I'm doing it also, then I'm doing it on top of like now having to do my job or explain things to you in a way where I'm like making sure as we say, like crossing my T's and dotting my I's so that I don't sound, so that it doesn't slip out that I'm like from the hood, like, like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. What's your experience of that, of that Shireen? Like, is it, do you feel like it's labor intensive? Oh yeah. But I, and for me, I think it's more than just speaking. It's going to work and make sure I'm speaking correctly. My hair looks okay. My outfit looks on point. It's all Ann tailored out or J crewed out. Like, you know, everything has to fit that stereotype, that, that picture, because if it doesn't, then someone's going to say something or say, Hey, why are you, why, why do you look like this? Or, and, and I'll tell you this, like, I, I wear my hair straight. I used to wear my hair straight all the time because when I worked in Boston, I used to wear it curly and somebody, my, my partner one time said, your hair looks too ethnic. It makes some of the clients a little nervous to be around you, which I thought was just super racist in itself because hair doesn't make you threatening, but I guess it does. And so from that, from like my first job out of college, I used to straighten my hair all the time. And then I had a job where they, they just kept calling me the diversity hire, the diversity hire, the diversity hire. So then I said, well, you know what? I'm going to fit the role. So I started to wear my hair curly again because I was like, if that's what I am, that's how I'm going to wear my hair. And I kid you not, when I decided to straighten my hair again after like a year, um, I was going through a crisis and I was like, I'm going to straighten my hair. The number of people in my office who introduced themselves to me and asked me to have lunch with them and started inviting me to meetings was gigantic like enormous it was shocking because all of a sudden now that i had straight hair i looked more like them i looked less intimidating less threatening and now all of a sudden all of a sudden they could relate to me like i was like i was white or something it was the weirdest thing i was like you want to have lunch with me can i wear my hair curly like what do you want me to do (laughs) so it's it's just it's so exhausting just in the whole image that you have to bring to work it's not even just the way you speak it's everything you do because if you and i sorry if you and i roll our eyes they're like "Ooh, the diversity hire rolled her eyes at us she's so rude did she not learn manners at home and it's like, no, we did, but you rolled your eyes at me. Why was that not a problem, you know? Right, right. and then that, that doubled, you know, the, the intersectionality of also being a woman and having to stay in your place, as you talked about, um, being the person who takes notes. Like, so now I'm the, the diversity hire, the professional and the secretary. And it's not, mm-hmm. one of those things may not be a problem, but being all of those things all the time. And one of the things that you said really stuck out to me, and I know you said you you graduated from two Ivy League institutions. I, I graduated from one as well. And they actually had a term for it for like when the kids of color would dress in all pen. I went to uni- University of Penn. So they would oh, dress in all okay. <laughs> oh, no way. So they would they would we, when they would dress in all University of Penn clothing, they call it penning up. Like, oh, he's penned up. Like he's he's penning mm-hmm. up. Because then it would treat you be you you so you so you'd see like uh, six foot tall black men in a pair of salmon salmon shorts, and you're like, "Are you? What's going on with those salmon shorts?" Mm-hmm. We always call them like the salmon shorts and the popped collar. And it's so it's so interesting because they're they're not just code switching in language; they're code switching with their entire bodies to be one less threatening, two mm-hmm. more norm, that kind of thing. And it's it's so exhausting. I saw a guy in a in a sweatshirt on online and I still haven't found it, but so maybe I've, I've been thinking, toying with the idea of just getting it made. His shirt said too tired to code switch. Like yep. just either don't talk to me or like take it how it comes out of my mouth. Cause I'm just so, I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's yeah. ridiculous. There's a, there's a meme on that too. The co- the, the lady, the woman at work, I am her friends and she's like, how do I tell these people in the meeting y'all are crazy? And the girl goes, just tell them y'all are crazy. Just tell them you're too tired to code switch. I can't. Yeah. And, and trying to not do that. It's, I just, I was just watching a TikTok and the girl was like, I said bet in the meeting. It, it just, it just was like, what? What do you, she's like, okay, I have to go back. How do you, you know, there's those, those memes that go, how does it, how do you say this in corporate speak? How do you say this in corporate speak? Because there is such a, a, a way of speaking that's okay. I, I tell my my coworkers at, at work as well, like I've never heard the word cascade more than in corporate. So even <laughs> corporate has a code language, but like code switching is just so hard to be able to have these kind of conversations, which um, I can't, it's just, anyhow. 
So the salmon shorts story is reminding me of, and this is not this is not so much a funny story as it's like really sobering, which I'm sure this will not be surprising to either of you at all. But it was to me at the time I heard I heard this. So I had a one of my classmates in grad school was like so dapper. He was a black man, just every day, like three piece suits, bow ties, like completely just put together. Uh, every time I saw him, and I I once complimented him, I was like, hey, you look really nice today, and he said. He, he, he like pulled his jacket like this. He goes, oh, this, I don't really care about this. I was like, what? Like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't understand what he was saying, but he was like, yeah, well, when, where I live, you know, in, in a primarily black neighborhood in Boston, there's a lot of police. And this is the only way that I can signal to them that I'm a minister and a grad student, like by like wearing, like, go, like the lengths and the money that he had to spend just to like avoid getting like detained and stuff was just it was mind blowing to me because here I was in my like, you know, white girl thrift store, literally wearing thrift store clothes to class, not even thinking about the fact that that's a privilege to be able to dress in trash clothing and and not give a second thought to it. It's so funny because even even into how that plays into what Shireen was saying, and, and I could say the same thing about hair, is that like the like I, I remember like there's a, a huge conversation about like black girls going outside in bonnets and hair wraps and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we don't have that same conversation for white women who go outside with their hair completely wet, like nope. dripping wet, walking the streets and nobody is like, or a messy bun mm -hmm. and a messy bun can be on the cover of Vogue. But if I, no, that would never happen. And <laughs> yeah. we spend so much time and money and like, I, you know, college campuses, I had never seen uh, kids, kids of color go to school the way that white kids were like rolling literally rolling out of bed for an 8 a.m class in pajama like, bottoms in pajama bottoms yeah sweatshirt n teeth not brushed that kind of thing <laughs> where like we're we're like kids of color are like with full you will see if you go to a college campus you'll see black girls with like with dressed to the nines with like a purse and a backpack like Never. Yeah. I, I would never. I could never imagine. And our parents would also not be okay with us doing it. Yeah. So it's, it's not funny. just code switching with your language. It's code switching with your entire body. It's the things people things people assume about you or don't assume about you. Like, it's like white women, for example, are giving the benefit of the doubt that if we have a messy bun, we're just a busy professional girl boss, you know? But if, if women of color do that, it seems like the assumptions people make are much different. Um, it's not the same standard. No, Absolutely. we're lazy, unkept, too poor to own a hairbrush. Oh and I've and I've had that happen, like, because my hair gets frizzy. If the rain touches it, it gets frizzy. And I've had people at work say, did you forget to brush your hair today? No. People say that to you? Like, my hair is naturally making itself do this. Like, I can't stop it. <laughs> you would be surprised some of the things that people don't realize they're saying or they're saying thinking it's okay mm -hmm. for me to say this. But mm -hmm. like, it, so it's, it's a wild, wild thing. And I get into... Like when I'm thinking about code switching, especially when it comes to work and, and how I use my language or how people use language, one of the places that you can see so much of this is is TikTok, right? Like, you know, we're all on TikTok and we see people having conversations and you're like, um, okay, so how do I code switch to feel like, how do I code switch to say, and for other people, like I want people to understand that like code switching is not... I, I'm okay code switching at times. And I say this because, and I wanted to make sure in, in part of the conversation is that I don't want everybody to, to use the language that I use. I'm not asking for that because, and we can see, and I, we could have an entirely different conversation on AAVE and how people think it's like Gen Z's language now or TikTok slang. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I am a little bit trying to gatekeep some of that language so it doesn't lose. Cause I always tell people like, when you, Perfect example. Um, uh, Trader Joe's wanted to do has made jell-off rice <sighs> on the shelf, and jell-off rice is an Afri East African or West African, West African. dish. Mm -hmm. uh, West African dish uh, up and through. So you know, there's like Nigerian jell-off, Ghanaian jell-off, and and a couple other Ugandan jell-off. There's jell-off in, in a bunch of different places. Trader Joe's making jollof has lost its flavor. And that's how I feel about AAVE hearing it from, from Gen Z. It's like, I, the first time I knew that like code switching, I wanted to take it back was when I was watching TV. So the people, you know, how like now everybody in, in the lexicon is people say like, oh, she's blinged out or she's blingy talking about diamonds. 
So that came from a, a 1990, I think nine Little Wayne song or 2000 Little Wayne song. He would say, every time I come around your city, bling, bling. And I saw it in a Zales commercial and I was like, oh no, this is <laughs> awful. Like it, it just was like, I, I can't, y'all can have it. You can have it. So nobody, <laughs> nobody I know says it anymore, which is the opposite of like code switching. We've lost it now because it's become part of um, mainstream conversation, but then we lose it. And every time and TikTok, we know is one of those places where you can lose these things really quickly. You have a conversation and now everybody's saying cap, no cap. And you're like, no, we've been saying that for years. And and that's what, so that's one of the ways that I look at code switching is like, uh, I'm going to keep this. So I'll code switch for you. So you can't have this from me. <laughs> Do you feel like once, once these terms get co-opted or like capitalized on, right? Um, like, there's pressure to create like to innovate to like create fresh language to like keep up the pace to like keep creating new stuff that... i mean i think that is already that's always happening right like yeah that, that's the the language is evolving ever evolving so the the slang that i grew up on is not all of the slang that people use like people use different things going forward but we but at times we just put it down we like nobody says on like ha, when's the last time you like listened to a tiktok or or you were on instagram and you heard somebody say something was on fleek we i'm we, glad we, that went away honestly it wasn't my favorite it like felt i i liked it but the thing is once everybody started doing it it was dead to us it was like it's yeah. dead to me y'all can have it it's that that kind of thing so I was think that was that AV, aave as well it is. It's so it is so that generally everybody has slang, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to tell you. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story in a second, but um, it is. So it started with saying her eyebrows were on point; they were on fleek, mm-hmm. right? That's where it started from, and then it became everybody. Oh, this is on fleek. That's fleek. That's lit. That's whatever. And we just go. You can have it. <laughs> like y'all can have it. I don't want to do it. So there's a new TikTok, and I cannot remember the creator's name. But she was like, I'm going to start using white people slang because white people slang be busting. And she was like, she's like, okay, pal. <laughs> like, Could you imagine if we all just was like, you know, how about that, pal? And I was like, it's, I think I sent it to Mel on TikTok because it's so yeah. ridiculous. But like, she's like, white people have their own slang and I'm going to start using that. <laughs> and then we'll be like, okay, okay, buddy. She still sounded cooler than most white folks I know sound when they say that. And it, like, it still managed to sound cooler coming from her. So I, I can't. can't. <laughs> Shereen, I'd love to hear more about your experience with maybe not even code switching, but just like anything that comes to mind in this arena around, you know, being in an immigrant family and what that what that's been like for you. Do you feel like that's another layer of code switching that you've had to do as were you are you originally from the U.S. or is that um, I don't know how to ask this question. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I wasn't, I wasn't born in the U S but I spent most of my childhood growing up here. Okay. Um, and I would say that that plays a big role in it too, code switching. Cause like Tyshell says, the way you talk to your grandparents is different than how you talk to your friends. The way I talk to my parents, the way I act around them, the way I have to portray myself like on social media, because it could get back to my parents. It's all code switching. Like, and it's funny because my ex-boyfriend used to be like, you know, you would be on TV already if you would just put your real self on the internet. And I can't do that because if I put my real self on the internet, my parents would be like, where did we go wrong? Like, oh, wow. So, so there's I definitely- brought you to this country. We had such a good dream <laughs> and you mess it all up by being a jester on Facebook. And you're like, oh, that's not okay. That's not what's happening, right? So there are definitely, and, and it's funny because even in comedy, I'm code switching all the time and I don't even realize it, but I'm playing to the audience. If the audience is asking for something, if the audience wants dirty, I give it to them dirty. And sometimes I'm like, that might be too dirty for me. But like, <laughs> but then sometimes I'm all uppity and professional on stage and I'm like, Ooh, this is tiring. I don't, I don't like doing comedy like this, but I, it's, it's an act. And it's like, it's, I've learned, it's funny because sometimes you just fall into it. You don't even real. I don't even realize I'm doing it. Like if I do an urban room, I just fall into a different way of acting and speaking. And I've had, act- it's funny. I've had people tell me, you do not go on stage and do not be do not be that white girl who goes on stage and pretends she's black by talking black and i have to tell them i wasn't even pretending to talk black 
I just picked up that language from being around my black friends. And like, that is just the way I speak when I'm with them. And I didn't even know I, I was offending you guys, but I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> but I've had people tell me that, but it's weird because nobody in a white audience ever comes up to me and says, you sounded too white. <laughs> so it, it is interesting, like how people pick up on the way you speak and either get offended or not offended by it. What would you say is like your what your brand and your style and the thing you feel most comfortable in when you're doing your comedy like what's the 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 frame that you love to talk about and that you feel is most you that like you know when you said you um you went back to the comedy store owner and was like you know what thank you for helping me unlock my passion so where where does your passion lie when you're doing your your brand of comedy um breaking down stereotypes a lot of it about breaking down stereotypes. I want people to look at people like me because I started doing comedy after 9-11 and I want, and I feel like there, there's, and there still is, there's so much hatred towards people of color, especially people who may look Muslim. So whether you're Hindu or Sikh, if you're just brown, people already treat you differently. And I want to be able to break those barriers down. I love, as, as dumb as this sounds, I love it after a comedy show when people come up to me and they're like, are you really Muslim? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, I've never met a Muslim person before. You're actually really cool. Like, I didn't realize you guys were so nice. And now they're, they, they're changing their whole perspective on a whole religion of people based on me, based on one person. That's all it's taking to change their attitude. And so I just want to keep doing that. I just want to keep changing one person at a time and getting them to change their attitude against people of color. That's incredible. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. And th this is why it's so funny because I work in the, everybody knows I work in the space of DEI and I do consulting work. And I always tell people when you're doing DEI work, do it in whatever is real to you, right? Whatever brand that you do, if you're an artist, paint. If you're a singer, sing about it. And for you, if you're a comedian, make comedy about it because, you know, you're still teaching and engaging with folks and like giving people a space and an outlet and they're like oh my god i laughed along with her does this mean i'm also muslim like you're <laughs> like yes you're muslim too <laughs> like but they they go they come away with like an education and in, in a commonality right mm -hmm. like that's so that's so interesting to me what has been one of your like most well i guess well like not well attended or well like a joke that really or or set up a story that really resonated with you that you told that you felt like the audience was there with you i tell this <laughs> it's so funny i tell this joke about my mom and about her sex toy <laughs> Sorry, and, i know and you can and 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 it's it's the joke i end my shows with and it's just a way to come back at the end after you've listened to me for 30 minutes either you love me or you didn't love me or you love me for half the show and then you lost me or you know you have mixed feelings about me it's a joke at the end of my set that i always end with and it's so relatable to the audience because everyone in the audience unless my parents are there everyone in the audience knows what a sex toy is or has a sex toy or has had an embarrassing moment with a sex toy and now i'm taking my mom who is this traditional muslim immigrant woman right and I'm telling a story about her and her sex toy. And all of a sudden, anybody who hated me and hated the fact that I was Muslim loves me again. And it's just this great way to close the story because that's the last thing they're gonna remember. Wow, she was a Muslim woman with a sex toy. Like, you know? And so next time they watch the news about a terrorist attack and somebody's like, oh, I hate Muslims, they can be like, but there was this one girl whose mom is a Muslim and had a sex toy. Like, so it's like leaving that lasting impression. And I, I love that story because people, I get the whole audience back on my side with that joke. And that. it reminds us that we have these really important human things in common. Like we all have embarrassing mothers, embarrassing <laughs> mothers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so great. I love that. I think that's so. See, now interesting. you're thinking about your sex toys. I know. I just. I'm, I was. I can't I, help. I'm like, no, where I was totally yeah. thinking about an embarrassing time with this, and you're like, oh, can, can my neighbors hear me? I always tell people like that's one of the things you do the quietest in your life. Like every noise around your house is like, what? What's, what's that? What's that? That's, this conversation so, yeah. could take a really sharp turn at this point, and I, I want to not going to go there. <laughs> I'm blushing a little bit because I'm actually thinking about. So when you said, Shreen, that about your parents and like not, you know, not being feeling like you could be fully yourself on the Internet, I had this like light bulb moment. My parents are pastors and I, I code switch for them because I, you know, I feel like 
I I do like every time I post something on Facebook I'm like oh what's my mom gonna say about this you know it's it's it is very interesting how we temper ourselves or we adjust ourselves to kind of protect these important bonds in our lives and these relationships in our lives and that is code switching and I never realized that's what mm-hmm. I, I've been doing Told you, this whole time everybody oh my god switches. it's funny because to me and, and that's one of the things I don't worry about because I'm usually I'm usually trying to temper my mother from saying the thing because my mom's like her and if she listens to this and that she she doesn't know how to do technology so she probably doesn't but she's like I listened to that one and I'm like mom if you scroll down you can see the rest but I'm trying to temper my mother because she'll say like my mom's favorite thing is like well just fuck it I'm like mom my boss said I can't have a raise she's like fuck him I'm like mom this, you can't you can't say that to people but so my mom would not work in corporate like she would not be able to cut it because she would be like well that's just fuck it I'm like it's not how you do that so it's funny to me when I meet other people who have mothers who are like I'm like no 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 I'm the different one from my mom like that's a, a difference for me but yeah everybody ends up having now code switching for my grandmother is one thing I had to do until I almost saw her fight someone but that's a whole different story <laughs> but it is it's one of those things you have to that's why that's how I always explain it when I'm doing workshops like how would you speak to your grandmother is that how you speak to your friends no well then you're code switching right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and I always tell people I did I said this to my niece recently who's in her second year of college I said if you don't graduate with any degree, no matter what, de- no matter what degree you graduate with as a person of color in college, you graduate with a degree in code switching. Mm-hmm. You have to, you can't, you have to, you are the, you are the diversity person on campus. You are the, and you have to be nice and you have to do that. Mm-hmm. You will graduate with a degree in code switching. How do I say this? How do I, especially if you want to make it anywhere outside of there. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> Shereen, Shereen's like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 100% one but you know what's funny in college I didn't really I didn't really imp- I didn't really have to code switch I felt because there were so many other people of color around me and they were doing the code switching and so I was just kind of in the background like what's happening it was it was it was in when I hit corporate America that's when I was like why didn't anybody tell me all these things like why was there not a class to teach me some of these things like that I'm not understanding like what's happening right now and then how do you even deal with it how do you work through it like finding you have to find like finding a therapist first of all who understands it and like can talk you through these things is even mm-hmm. more difficult um so yeah i feel like there needs to be there needs to be a college class on like code switching 101 it's gonna be at, it's, really it's not idea. gonna be at the general it's gonna be at an hbcu it can't be at <laughs> like, a pwi because then it'll be like oh that's what they're saying <laughs> so you gotta, how do you it's prepare gotta be for the real world but also, it, I mean, as a point of empathy, though, like even if I don't have to code switch in a particular way to understand that the work that other folks are doing to to code switch in those arenas and how how much effort that takes. I don't know. I think that could be useful for everybody to understand. There's a movie that I was just, that I was watching not too long ago. And the, and the girl says um, with Ali Wong and I cannot remember the other actor's name, but Ali Wong is in the movie and her best she's Asian and her best friend is black and she's like don't talk to me in your white voice and your white phone voice (laughs) and she's like don't talk to me like so because you can like sometimes it becomes something where you where you're alienating then the people you know because now you brought your corporate speak home with you Mm -hmm. and then it becomes a thing that and that's that's the other thing that we haven't really talked about um, that that we don't always get to. <laughs> my friends, some one of my friends is on there. She made a comment and said, "Code switching is a science." It is because here's the thing about code switching too: is that you have to do enough of it that you get into uh, corporate America and that they understand you, but not so much of it that you've now alienated yourself from the other brown and black people around you. Right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a delicate balance because then you'll go home and people be like, "Oh, you think you're better than us," mm-hmm. and you're like no but I just it's hard to turn off right that's that is the other part of it and the one thing and in, in that that made that you said that made me think Shireen is that you didn't have to do it because other people were doing it around you I work my work now is trying to not do it as much so that I don't tell people who are younger than me coming up in this work in whatever work that they're doing in corporate America that they have to do it because then I'm leaning into respectability politics and then I'll be the person saying, you can't speak that way. You can't dress, I'll be tell- I will be then telling other people of color, you can't dress that way. Shireen, if you straightened your hair, more people would be able to pay attention to what you're saying. As if those two things even go in one sentence. Mm-hmm. If you straightened your hair, we could go to lunch. 
but but that's what it happens right Mm -hmm. so you'll get other brown people telling you what you cannot can and cannot do one because they think they're protecting you but then it becomes now they're gatekeeping in that way which is a whole other set of of issues that it's just it's 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 crazy yeah is that how you would define respectability respectability politics there we go uh is is um people like it's like a self-policing thing is that how would you is it so i wouldn't i wouldn't it would i wouldn't say it's just self-policing respectability politics comes in when you start to police the other people who look like you okay to tell them and it's it's a form of gatekeeping right respectability it is though if you cut your hair and pull up your pants people will notice you and respect you more if you're if you tamp down your Muslimness, then people will be able to be friends with you, right? For people like sure, like you're like, I'm not really sure how I do that, right? But that's the telling people to be less of themselves, to bring less of themselves into the places that they're in, so that more people, so that they'll be yeah. more palatable to people. And to a like lot of people, it happens those, generationally. Conform to those white norms, essentially, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I totally understood all of that, but I didn't understand it. I didn't realize it was like people telling other people that that's how they needed to like conduct themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have you had mm-hmm. that experience, Shereen, where you were, where you feel like other people of color have now told you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're trying to mentor you or they're trying to like help you not make the same mistakes they made. But then it's like, yeah, well... If they feel more comfortable with you with straight hair, why are you agitating them by wearing it curly? Just wear it straight, you know? Well, because I want to agitate them. <laughs> I mean, even if I wear my, let's put it this way. Even if I wear my hair straight to work, you're still not going to treat me like an equal to a white person. You're still not going to treat me the way I deserve to be treated. This is just one extra step to make you feel comfortable. But why should I make you feel comfortable? I'm not comfortable. So because now I had to wake up two hours early to get my hair to look like this. So, I mean, it's it's so hard because you, at the end of the day, you want to get promoted. You want to be the best that, that you know you should be. But at the end of the day, you also want to stay true to who you are. And it's it's such a hard battle. And this is how much of yourself do you lose in that? So I, a good example was there was a young man playing on a, a basketball team. Was it basketball? I think it was basketball or football. I can't remember. Listen, I'll, I'll know nothing about <laughs> sports ball. I really don't. Sports but he was he was playing he was playing he was playing a sport and his coach said he needed to cut his dreads off. Like needed to cut them off as if that mm-hmm. was going to make a difference in the game and they stopped the game and I think his mother cut his dreads off on the sideline. Like playing in as if without fighting it. There are people who will tell you like just do it so it's easier. You know, Steve Harvey has been has been part of that where he says wear a suit. Mm-hmm. right to to become to be seen as more pull up your pants and and i i there there's a i think there's a time and a place for certain things and certain dress or whatever but you should also have to let let yourself decide what that is i used to i worked on a couple different college campuses and i lived on the college campus and i used to like get my i w- i had to share laundry with the students right so i would leave my apartment and share laundry with the students and i would like get fully dressed and and make sure i looked presentable because i am the person who's in charge here until i started one day was like why am i not wearing my headscarf at six in the morning to go do laundry and if I do that then I'm letting other people know that be your full self and that's mm-hmm. okay like wear your headscarf around and things like that so really un- like not letting people not telling people below you or younger than you but when I say below either in, j- in job title or people who are younger than you that they have to do this so keeping people in line is usually and they do often feel like they're mentoring you like mm-hmm. like let me just tell you how it is here but when you're telling me how it is and creating another barrier for me then you are leaning into respectability politics and it happens a lot with the older generation because they were so used to doing it that way and that was the way that may have helped them get ahead or that was the way that they see is right mm-hmm. right and, and that so I see that that's usually how I see respectability politics coming up yeah totally agree Mel's like I'm so perplexed right now <laughs> well I'm still yeah and I'm still kind of like stuck on the not stuck on but contemplating how like the 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 idea of demanding that someone spend their precious time on this earth straightening their hair so that 
I can feel comfortable. Like you are going to spend your time alive as a human being so that you can fit my picture of what is normal. That's so freaking weird. Why do we do that? I'm glad you I'm glad you know how weird it is. It's so weird. It's so not okay. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, it's just it's the the labor intensivity of it that that often, you know, um doesn't I, so here's my question for both of you. Do you think code switching is good, bad, ugly, and necessary evil? How do you, do you think it's like a do you think it's a, a a good quality that you can have sometimes? Like I'll give you an example that I'm thinking of too. I started my first job in, in corporate America. Uh, and this woman who was my like supervisor, um, old, older woman, you know, had been around for a while and she called me into her office and I think she kind of wanted to mentor me. And I, I didn't really know what was happening because I was like a dumb, like straight out of college kid. But she goes, can I have, give you some advice? And I said, sure. She said, don't ever bake cookies for the office. I was like, that's your advice? Seriously? She's like, don't do it. If I see you baking cookies, I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> Obviously, but she, she was, said it. What she was trying to tell you, I mean, and, and it is, she, she was trying to tell you a valuable lesson because that will then be your role. Oh, yes. Mel's the person who will bake cookies. Exactly. And that's what she's good for. So yeah. I think, you know, and that, I think there's an aspect to this and I'm not saying, I'm not saying code switching is always good at, at all, but I think there, there can be some value in here. Here's how to survive in this world and how to not be subservient, right? But that's, I feel like a very small percentage of what we've been talking about. The rest of this nonsense just feels harmful and frustrating and, and labor intensive. Um, so what I don't you know, say, I Shireen, how do you, do you feel that it, it has provided some good things or some, or not so good things? Or how do you feel about it? I mean, I get, I get where Mel is coming from. And she made a comment. She goes, she said, you said earlier, like you wanted, you wish you knew all the code switching we do. So you guys, you would be more aware of it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that at in corporate or at work or wherever, and I don't, I hate saying this thing, but white people still have an unconscious bias. So even if I were to tell them, you treat me differently when I have straight hair versus curly hair, they still have to go home and do the work to understand why they do that, right? Yeah. And how many of them are willing to do that work? I don't know. I know like when the whole George Floyd thing happened, all of the corporate America was up in arms and we're like, we're going to do diversity training and we're going to help teach people how to talk to their black, their black coworkers at work. But they never really sat down with the non-black people and said, let's talk about why do you talk to them this way? Why do you treat them this way? Mm -hmm. Because we can teach you how to, you can't teach somebody how to be respectful if subconsciously they don't want to be respectful, right? Yes. And so it's, it's tiring to code switch, but I would rather code switch to a degree to not have somebody talk to me in a manner that I don't deserve to be spoken to because I brought my real self into a situation. Um, because then, because then we're going to have to see how I'm going to get out of jail real quick. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, so my thoughts about code switching too, it, it kind of fall in line with part of what Shireen was saying as well, because I do, I see value in code. Well, let me not say I see value in it. One of the things is that I wish I didn't have to code switch as much. I wish it was my own decision to be able to do it, but I don't, I think bringing your whole self to work is a myth, right? Like that, that's a myth that it's kind of like when people say we're all a family here and you're like dysfunctional <laughs> as fuck. Like we are not. A, and also like when people Let's say we're a family, authentic. it's like, I'm going to treat you poorly and you're not going to be able to say anything about it. So when, when I say we're a family, I mean, I'm the patriarch matriarch of the family and you don't have any say like, is that what people mean by when they say that? So I always tell people like, don't say we're family. Like when, when a job, that's a, it's a thing I've seen too. If, if a job tells you that we're, we're all family here, run. But so <laughs> I do see some value in using language, having a standard language right at work. But I also think that everybody needs to be a part of how that language is created. Right. So if we, if, if in corporate, they say things like cascade, sure, fine, innocuous, doesn't really matter as long as we know, we all know what it means, but who creates the language that we're code switching for, right? Mm -hmm. Or we're code switching into who says these are good words and these are not good words. Why can't I go, why can't I end a meeting was like, yo, that was, that was, that, that was bomb. What you said was bomb. But it, in certain teams, if we have that commonality, then we can all speak that certain way. And it doesn't have to be a standard way because that's a problem. 
for it's it can't be one way for one people. I'm not saying we should all start using AAVE at work because no, but that so to my other point, I think I don't have a problem with some code switching or some standard language as all, as long as everybody gets to create that language together. The other thing is I don't want everybody to start talking like me at work because then it's disingenuous and now my language has lost all of its flavor. Like I just don't, I don't want it to become gel off rice at Trader Joe's. Like I just don't need every, this is, listen, this is how I feel when I'm listening to TikTok and you hear 19 year old white kids being like, that's bussin' bussin'. I'm like, that just does not even sound right. Like it, it, you said it right. So I'll, I'll tell you, and I said this earlier to you all, a quick story. So I was in ninth grade geometry and this girl was talking about my teacher because she was really overbearing. She was really weird. The teacher was a, was a weird, weird lady. So the girl in my class, and I'm, I'll, I'll send this to her afterwards. Sabrina was like, yo man, she said to, to us, a group of people, yo man, she a nut. And my teacher was like, I heard what you said. And she's like, okay, so what did I say? And she was like, you said she a nut. And, I, and we all looked at each other and was like, yes, but no. Is that, I just, yeah, that is what she said, but that's not what she said. So like in today, I don't want it to all lose its flavor. So I don't need you to speak like me, but I don't want to have to put so much labor into being like you, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I want to be me, but like, I can't bring my, the bringing, I can't bring my full self to work because it's not, that's not really what you want. Cause then I'm going to be like, yo, 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 all of that garbage right like and and i mean it's not necessarily and it's not necessarily just going to be aave i'm gonna you know have to speak i i'm gonna have to stop you from speaking over me i'm gonna have to you know be my full like i've tried that i've worn head wraps to work and then people come touch my hair come touch my head right like a lot of but that it's it for us not to have to code switch, we're, we're having having to investigate each person's understanding of what it means and how to be and what it is. When I do workshops with people, one of the things I do is a shared agreement so that we're all on a level playing field. And one of the things that I always do is say, disagree respectfully. And I put an asterisk next to respectfully because what what Mel thinks, what Mel, Mel feels is, is respectful may not be what Tyshell feels is respectful, may not be what Shireen feels is respectful. So even if we don't define respect, right, what respect means, right? Because ethnic respect is a lot different from white standard respect. It just it, Like if you met my mother and I said, oh, my mom's name is is Joyce. And you'd be like, hi, Joyce. My, we would, me and Shireen would be like, wait, you, okay, no, her name is Miss Joyce or Auntie Joyce. Like you just can't call my mother by her first name. That's so weird. Like it's just not is not a thing that happens with brown people of any of any brownness any any brown right so we have to come to an understanding that what you think may be different from what I think and one is not better than the other that's how I think about it anyway yeah and the question you asked earlier basically like who gets to decide right. what's acceptable and normal who gets to decide is, is this a group negotiation or is this like these unspoken norms that have kind of trickled through culture and are still white centric you know so yeah yeah any final words on code switching any anything you didn't any burning thought you didn't get out yet i guess i would love to i'd love to know from you two i, I have you guys been working from home from during covid yeah do you feel like it's easier to not code switch when you're working from home? Like, can you really be your real self now a little bit more? What do you I think, have, Mel? I've been working on this and I um, I wanted to make sure this conversation focused more on the, uh, you know, racial identity stuff. Cause I think that's what, the, that's definitely been the spirit of the conversations we've been having lately. Um, I, I feel like code switching for the professional environment is at, at times like oppressive like it's, it feels crushing and I can't even imagine having to code switch for racial you know or immigration reasons on top of that because I already feel suffocated by it and I <laughs> I make pictures for a living like my my day job is graphic design so I think I have a lot more leeway than most people <laughs> so I'm coloring and handing yeah. it out like yeah I mean, like, here's your very living. professional photo like picture that I made for you um so wow. and you know I've Again, I've worked in corporate and done the whole thing, but I do, I feel like when I have to dress up for in work attire, I feel like I'm putting on a costume, like it some, is. like I'm cosplaying a professional, <laughs> you know, I didn't come up with that, but it really feels like so poignant for me. And I, I just, um, 
I I wish we could all not have to put on like to play that farce and speak that language and say words like synergy in order to like be taken seriously i i wish we could have green hair and be taken seriously as professionals you know like it listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth you know instead of like judging me and my appearance and, and based on everything you you think you know about me so i and again i can't imagine like the degrees of magnitude that it would feel uh so i'm i'm so thankful that you both you know shared your experiences with me and i um, I, I want to, I wish we could do more to make it better. And I'd love to hear your ideas for making it better because I've been, I'll, I've been I'll trying to, to, yeah, please, please, please. I'll go too, because I will say I feel much more comfortable now working at home. And this is uh, across the board. You can find articles about this, about how black women don't want to return to work because we face so many microaggressions. And for me, I started, I started working from home, I think. Well, right as the pandemic happened, but I've switched jobs since then, right? So I started I started working from home with a Zoom shirt. You know, that one button-up shirt that we all... And now I'm working in a hood. This is what I wore to work today because I'm working from home. Like, I'm not... Like I and, and and the thing is, I'm on a team that I feel like I can engage with enough that it's not, or even, and you know, I do a lot of consulting and I always tell people like, eat your dinner, bring your food, let's have a conversation and we can laugh, we can, we can have hard conversations and doing that. And I don't need you to be in a suit and tie in a, in front of a computer to have that conversation. I just dread for if any of us or if whomever has to go back to work to put that, you know, put their armor of, or, or their, their cosplay of a, of a professional back on. So I do feel like I've gotten to be more myself. I mean, we also lose some things cause I don't have the same connectivity with certain people, but I get to, to, and then also, I think I, I also get to have more intimate or more direct friendships with people I choose to and I don't have to walk mm. past Diane and go oh my god <laughs> how's, face. how's your dog <laughs> how's your Bichon Frise and I'm like oh, I hate her right I just because at the end of a zoom meeting how many how quick do people log off they're like yeah. doop 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 everybody bye 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 yeah. and nobody you know but when you're in a conference room you have to linger and walk and you got to <laughs> say something and like at the end of the zoom meeting I'm like off sitting back on my couch like it's, yeah. so it is different so I, I will say I feel differently in this environment but I can't imagine going back like even if I did have to go back into an office I can't imagine going back to what that looked like before and I yeah. and, we're, and people are having conversations about that and hopefully yeah. more corporate places will be like let's let's have a a midday kickball session because we're like i'm not sitting in this chair all day it's not working like there'll be spaceships <laughs> like you know when you go to a, a kid's barbershop there's like a spaceship chair and a rocket ship chair. there has to be that for us to go back to work what do you think shireen has it been oh yeah i love it you to be yourself <clears throat> oh home? definitely just <clears throat> just everything from like wearing my hair curly to what I wear to work. Like I'm one of those people, I belong at a tech company where I just like to wear a black hoodie or a black t-shirt and shorts. Like I wear my workout clothes to work and what are they going to say? Like, I dare you say something <laughs> like, no, yeah. I, and exactly what Taisha was saying. You don't have to, you don't have to be fake with people. You don't have to small talk with people. You don't have to get involved in disagreements or arguments with people who you don't see eye to eye with, but like you don't want, like at, at my old job, when Trump was running, there were signs everywhere, Trump 2020 at work. And you would hear these people have these debates on why he would make the great, a great president. Oh. And I was, you have to learn how to like walk away from those because if you get involved, like then they're like, oh, she's one of those people. And like, and you're no, like, I'm, I'm gonna log off the Zoom meeting real quick. Nobody's <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you guys wanna have a conversation? I am muting this and I will be sitting here doing my own thing. Like, I don't even partake. I just zone out. I love it. I don't, I don't know how I would go back to the office, like having to do fake lunches and no. <laughs> I honestly wonder how much this pandemic and you know the quarantine and everything will impact our corporate norms, our, uh, you know, pressure to code switch dress codes our sense of authenticity i think you know could you imagine media. going back down the, to, to only casual fridays no oh, oh we didn't no. even have i'm coming Friday. in a dinosaur costume <laughs> one of those inflatable dinosaur costumes on casual friday to mess it up for everybody because there are people who are like you actually can only wear jeans if you have enough um pellets in your 
in your jar at your desk and you're like are for fridays and people people like I, we can't jars there, what people do this thing where like if you have enough merits this is back to high school merits and demerits that you can wear jeans on a friday i'm like can you imagine going back i'm telling you we have to like you need get to give me a race car desk if i'm going back and i need to be able to wear my pajamas and sit under my desk when i feel like this meeting is going too long and, and... bring your dog yeah <laughs> Exactly. I, I can I can only imagine what the workplace will if we will tolerate it being the same way because you know we're also in the midst of what they call the great resignation for people like they're just like mm-hmm. oh I'm not doing this I saw a, a, a <laughs> I saw a sign at Burger King that was in it was it was online I didn't see the Burger King but it was a sign that said sorry we all quit <laughs> and the Burger King was closed because they were not having it like we're yeah. not doing this so I I'm, think- I'm hoping that it makes a really big you know play tectonic shift in, yeah. in the earth's crust yeah it seems like a lot of us have really taken a lot of time to think about like what really matters to us and and who we really want to be in the world and what authenticity means to us and i think there's a huge shift to it on social media you see people being themselves like showing themselves without makeup with with sweats and letting people into their intimate lives when they're putting on their makeup or brushing their teeth or, or the, doing the difference between TikTok you know? and Instagram. TikTok is like, yeah. this is my best life in the Maldives. <laughs> and this is me eating soup out of a can on yeah. TikTok. It's so <laughs> Exactly. But I think this is changing our cultural norms. I think I hope for the better. You know, I hope it, it, it creates freedom and liberation from all of us having to uh, have a sense of like decorum, whatever that means. But well, Here's thank you, hoping. Shireen, for having this conversation with us. We've we've had we've we've talked for like an hour and six minutes, and we could talk forever. And I I so enjoy you coming to have this conversation with us. So thank you so much. And I'll let Mel say any final words. I'm just glad that I got to have a conversation with somebody who's doing completely different work. I'm sure, but having that com- not exact same experience, but somewhat you know mirrored experience of of what we go through. <laughs> so thank you so much for for your time, your energy and like bring yourself to to us the way you can't bring yourself to work exactly well thank you for having me i appreciate being here absolutely shereen i'm such a fan i think you're so brilliant and wonderful and i'm i'm stoked that you wanted to talk to us today this has been great and uh you know i've i really appreciate both of you you know educating me and and all the other folks watching this and hopefully we uh got some some people thinking in new ways this hour Awesome. Awesome. Well, until next time, you all, we will be back next Tuesday at 8 p.m. EST having more conversations about communal healing, DEI, and all things anti-oppression. Hopefully just as lively as this one without Shireen. I mean, we don't usually get comics on our in our presence, so hopefully We're usually not it'll be funny. just as <laughs> I'm not very funny, but <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so come back and join us uh, next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Bye.